Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. I apologize. Been a while since we've been on here. I've been doing a lot of traveling, so that kind of like cut into my ability to come and uh, entertain the masses and all of that. Um, I went to L.A. a couple weeks ago. Now, I am mentioning this trip to L.A. Not even a couple weeks ago. It was last week. I am mentioning this trip to L.A. last week just to give you a little context for what's going on right here in New York City. Uh, I can't really show you, but it's been snowing. It's what they call a nor'easter. It's my second nor'easter. Uh, I could have been involved in the other nor'easter. Been, this, this is the third. I happened to be in California. The other time they had a nor'easter. It was in Miami. Either way, I was somewhere else uh, when the nor'easter was going on. But there is a Nar'easter that is going on outside right now. Now, the other time I was here for a Nar'easter, the same thing happened as what happened today, which was somehow I managed to have a round horn. So I had to go out in the Nar'easter. You know, like everybody else, like, oh, I got a snow day. I'm working from home. I've got my laptop. Now we have to go to work. Um, under those circumstances. That's one of those things about uh, being on television. You don't really get to just call out when you're on TV. It's just not an option. But anyway, snug me some trips to warmish at the very least weather uh, locations. You know, so I took a trip to Miami. Take a couple trips to LA during this winter. Um, in fact, in some, I believe I spent a full week in Los Angeles on these trips. Let me tell you what is every bit as much of a bummer as the Nor'easter. Going to L.A. and getting a high of 59. I went to L.A. during All-Star Week and I wrapped it over a couple days. If you stay long enough to wrap it over a couple days, bro, I was watching the news, and them jokers are on there talking about coal, and they weren't just talking about coal. Like, it wasn't simply that they said coal. They had coal on the screen in the letters that were made to look like ice with, like, the icicles coming down on it. Like, that's how they were talking about the high 50s and low 60s. Like, it's high. It's like, that's what they were talking about. Like, cold. They're like, yo, it's going to get down to, like, 50 degrees tonight. And it's like the end of the world. Like, you get out there and you see bubble coats under those circumstances when they happen in Los Angeles. And I understand how it goes. They see the bubble coats on television. They want to wear bubble coats. That's the closest chance they're going to get to wear a bubble coat or whatever it happens to be. But I will say, though, it's really only bubble coats. Like, you don't really see people in L.A. when it gets to what is L.A. code walking around in, like, a fly cashmere trench coat or something like that. No, it's bubble coats. It's, it's, it's straight 1998 bubble coats for whatever reason. But anyway, when you get, like, 59 in L.A., you feel cheated. You really, really feel cheated. And, like, that 59 in L.A. does not feel like the 59 we feel here. If it was 59 degrees in New York City, I'd be outside, like, in an undershirt. 59 in L.A., and you're like, oh, damn, I should have brought another hoodie. Like, it's such an L. Because you got to fly six hours to get there. Like, I flew there last week. I was only there for two days. So I caught that six-hour flight there. I think it's closer to, like, a five-hour flight back. I don't know how that, you know, tailwind, whatever. Anyway. 
I'm expecting a little better. Like I, I got rain. Like Tony, 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 come here right now and kiss my ass. I got rain on my trip to Los Angeles. That don't feel right, man. That don't feel right. But who am I kidding? It may be more disappointing to get a 59 in L.A., but it's not Easter situation. It's not the group. It is. It is. No, it's, 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 it's not what's up. It's not. It's cool. Staying warm. Got the coat. And I want to talk to you guys about coat buying. And, yeah, I'm just kind of rambling on stuff right now before we get to the questions. But I just want to run this by you about coats because I feel like we make very interesting decisions on what we decide is or is not worth a lot of money. For example, a person who can convince himself that $500 home stereo is worth the money will struggle with the idea of buying $500 headphones, even though it is entirely likely they will spend more time listening to music on their headphones than it is that they will spend listening on the home stereo. But it is the mere idea that you are going to spend $500 on headphones. You're like, ooh, I can't do that for headphones. So let's think about a simpler example in the non-electronic realm. Pillows. What if I told you that there's a set of pillows out there and it was hidden for a hundo? $100 for a pair of pillows. What is your immediate reaction to the sound of $100 for a pair of, for a pair of pillows? Right? Because I know a lot of y'all are like, why would I do that when I can go get some pillows for a little bit of money? Yo, what do you spend? Like, you put your head on it every night. Every night. Right, you tell me that's not worth five hundred dollars. And look, I don't blame you if you're like, yo, I don't have five hundred dollars for such things. I understand that. I'm just telling you that, like, approaching it as though the idea of a five hundred dollar pillow, you get where I'm going with it. There are all kinds of things that can serve a significant functional value, but the mere idea of spending that kind of money on whatever that thing happens to be, it throws you off, right? So we talked about this with the coats. I would make a recommendation to everybody that's out here that's got access to the ability to do anything like this, right? And I'm not speaking to you from some position of a dude that's got a bunch of cash that doesn't understand what life is for people everywhere else. I understand what life is for the rest of y'all. I would just tell you, man, every one of y'all that's going cheap on a coat is doing this way wrong, way wrong. Like, think about the things that you rationalize to yourself putting on the credit card. You could pay pay it off for your life, right? Yo, man. Put a G on a coat if you got to put a G on a coat. Because I got to say, my coat situation, whenever I'm out in that stuff, I'm good. I got some coats and some coats and some law jobs. I'm like, I'm straight. Like, I don't really like having this snow in my face. And it's like the mere idea of it being so brick cold. But I'm not, like, uncomfortable when I'm out there. And I be looking out there on these streets, man. Some of y'all be out here mad uncomfortable. And I just want to know, what you do with that other however many hundreds of dollars that's more important to stay warm? Because I can't think of nothing more important to stay warm. All right, real talk. What is more important to stay warm? What you got? Mm-mm. Like there, I don't. Like, is there a more miserable feeling than being like cold to your chest? Like you get caught and it's really, really hot, 
it ain't what you want. But I've only had one time in my life that I was just like so hot that it was miserable. It was a day in Durham. I think it was like 105 degrees or something like that. Like it was so hot, it was just keeping people inside. Restaurants were empty the whole night. People ain't even want to make the walk from the door to the car. Right? That's like the one time in my life that it's just been like, damn, it's that hot. Ain't no one time in my life that it's been that damn cold. Yeah, man. That's the worst feeling in the world. Whatever money you got to spend and not be cold, put that money on it. You ain't a child no more. Like, you kind of got to go cheap with kids stuff because they be growing out of it so fast. But not you. You about the size you're going to be. Maybe not full on. And maybe if your motivation to uh, not gain weight to make sure you can still fit in your expensive-ass coat, maybe that expensive-ass coat is the way that you need to go. But I, like, really do have to say, this cold weather has not been nearly as unpleasant as I expected it to be. And it is entirely because of that expensive-ass coat that I bought. Yes, it's light and warm at the same damn time. Get your coat right. Listen to me now. Believe me, later on. Anyway, let's see what y'all's questions is talking about. Wow, you guys are very curious about that Deez and Miro and uh, DJ Envy situation. I feel like you guys might be more uh, interested in that than I am. Oh, by the way, before I forget, as I scroll through these questions, we've got one update that I can give you. Uh, the Right Time Podcast will return on April 3rd. April 3rd, The Right Time Podcast will return. Um, we got a voicemail line that is set up. Phone number is 860-516-4119. That's 860 860-516- 4119. You can leave us a message. Tell them what you missed the show, what you want to hear, all that kind of stuff. Go ahead and uh, highlight us right fast. We're going to do some things with some of the voicemails that get left there. So I would appreciate if you guys could just leave us a holler. I'm not like, you know, me and compliments. I don't really feel so comfortable with them. So I'm not just begging you to tell me how dope I am. But it might be good for the overall product if you'll just call and leave a message on the voicemail about how dope I am. Right. And you know me. I'm not into that sort of thing. So, you know. Probably just, you know, go ahead and leave a voicemail about how dope I am at 860-516-4119. Yeah, sure, we'll go with this. Have you ever been ambushed during an interview like Jesus and Miro? Uh, maybe I haven't seen this. Jesus and Miro went on The Breakfast Club, and apparently DJ Envy had been waiting to highlight them boys for quite a while because they said something that he deemed to be disrespectful to his wife. Um, and, you know, DJ Envy and his wife has been some, like, public things associated with that. So then, of course, that makes people say that, you know, uh, you the one that disrespected your wife in the first place. And, you know, I will say, while that may be true, that it is he who uh, disrespected his wife in the first place, that doesn't mean it's like open season for everybody else to do it. Right? Like, I get the point that people make under those circumstances, but uh, that doesn't mean that everybody, not only does it not mean that everybody else has the right to do it, if she has stayed with you, then it's still like kind of sort of becomes your job to, you know, temper this disrespect when it comes up. Now, what I thought was interesting about this, and of course, you know, like disclosure, you know, I'm cool with Jesus and Miro. Um, the guys that work on that show, like producing, 
used to work on Highly Questionable, the executive producer of that show. It was my man, Eric Rideholm, who does PTI and um, Highly Questionable around the horn and all that. So I'm not like a totally separate party. Like, I'm not boys with Jesus and Miro. Like, I'm not about to leave here and go kick it with him or call him on the phone to talk about it. But that's, you know, that's crew. Um, I ain't really think that what they said was that disrespectful to my man's wife. I was like, I, that was not my thought on it. And what it was, was that they were sitting up on some talk show with DJ Envy and his wife. And DJ Envy's like, yo, she knows Rashad. Apparently that's what's on his driver's license. He's like, yo, she knows Rashad. She don't know DJ Envy. And I guess he's just trying to make the point that her relationship with him is about who he is. It's not about her having a true grasp of his notoriety or like what a big deal he was in these streets anything else and then when he said that Jesus was like she know them DJ Envy checks and so DJ Envy took that to mean that they were saying that the only reason that she was with him was because of the checks which he then turned as being disrespectful of his woman because that would make his woman one of them gold diggers who was just with him for the bread though I guess one could also make the argument that this is actually far more disrespectful to DJ Envy than it was to Mrs. Envy, because it would then be saying that the only way that you could keep her is because you had these checks. Now, I mentioned that in that way, simply to say, I felt in listening to this that it sounded a bit more like DJ Envy was being disrespected and used the disrespect of his wife as a proxy. Because you can always, let me say, man, you can always stir the base up, always stir the base up when you decide to go ride for your woman, man. Yeah, like your wife, particularly. But you go ride for your woman. There's just people just on GP. Like, that's just what they love. They love to see the idea y'all got such a level of affection that you come out here and you play the big old bad protector role. Let me tell you something, because no matter how much progress we talk about making on these gender roles and everything else, there's still going to be a heavy segment of the population that is looking at you, sir, when it is time to ride on somebody disrespecting your wife. Like, all of a sudden, anything that you got that goes with all these notions of, like, progress and we the equal and everything else, oh, no, 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 you got to go ride. Not everybody feels that way, but a lot of people feel that way. People love the idea that somebody will go out there and get in a fist fight in their neck. I mean, I think we've all lived enough of a life where we've seen this. I think somebody put in there that it's called chivalry. Whatever term it is that you want to use, but once you do that, Every single, I mean, not every dude, but it's going to be a bunch of them. Like, yeah, man, that dude was out there riding for his wife. That's what a real man does, right? Because it gets into, like, what a real man does, right? That's what that dude, you do it. You ride for his wife, da 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 and everything else. But in the end, man, there wasn't really no disrespect, at least not from what I saw. Now, I can say from where I am sitting that there was no disrespect. I have no idea whether or not Mrs. Envy felt that was disrespectful. And if Mrs. Envy felt that was disrespectful, then it is entirely possible that Mr. Envy, regardless of whether he deemed it to be disrespectful or not, had to ride with the idea that it was, in fact, disrespectful. Here's my question. Are you sure that Mrs. Envy was even aware that this happened? Like, does Mrs. Envy watch Jesus and Mero? 
It's entirely possible, right? But I I haven't seen anything to indicate that. So I am somewhat curious that when DJ Envy rode for the honor of Mrs. Envy, if Mrs. Envy was even aware that there was a ride that needed to be taken. You know? But that's how these things go. See, the other thing I think that happened was I think my man thought that he was going to do that and it was going to be like some sort of squeeze when in reality it went down and then Deez Romero's sitting there like, yo, what just happened here? Like, yeah, I think everybody's been in a situation where you're like, well, wait a minute, this just got really serious and I have no idea what's going on. And then your man Envy got up and left and no, nah, that wasn't the play. No, no, that's never the play. But no, no, that was, that was no, not a good look. Not a good look. That did not, no, nah, not a, not a good look at all. And so the question I asked when I went down, though, and I was like, well, yo, if it's that serious, don't you make a phone call before anybody gets on, like, the show? And that's, like, like that's when you know that somebody was, like, trying to put a squeeze and make some level of scene. Because I feel like if you was offended in this sort of way, then you make that phone call prior. And then after whatever happens, if the dude comes on the show, you'd be like, yo, we talked about this. Let's, you know, we can rap about it now. But I figure if you was that mad, that it would have been dealt with, like, everybody got everybody's phone number. That would have been my thought. Now, have I ever been ambushed like that? No, nah, I don't really do a lot of interviews as the talent. You know, like, I don't really do a lot of interviews where people are like, yo, we're going to talk to Bomani, and yeah, now we're going to get him. Nah, not, not really so much. Not really so much. Hey, man, they're going to work that out. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Man, whoever had this this uh, phone number I got at my crib before I did, man, he on all the lists. All the lists. Here we go. That's what I was looking for. All right. Shooting in Florida. Bombings in Texas. No mention of terrorism. Doesn't that sound about white? And I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Um, what it sounds like is not Arab. Now, I feel like they're, they're like parallel conversations to be that are kind of going on, that are, that are being conflated into one that I don't think should be made one. They should run parallel. So... I've watched, like, I saw the thing where the, the uh, police chief in Austin was talking about the dude uh, that was setting, that was blowing up the bombs. And he talked about how they listened to some voice recording that he left on his phone, and it was something like 25 minutes. And he said there was no mention of terror, there was no mention of hate, just a very challenged young man and the stuff he was going through and all this. And everybody's sitting there like, what? Like, that's remarkably empathetic language to describe somebody that was blowing everybody up. And keep in mind, by the way, if the cops had had been, like, physically closer to the car that he was in, they were blowing up some of them, too. Like, Like, that is a startling level of empathy. Startling in the sense that you just don't see that kind of empathy from law enforcement toward lawbreakers. This is not how it works, right? But that's what the man had to say there. Now, 
I've seen a lot of people say that they want this to be called terrorism. And that's led me to just a thought about what the loadedness has become of the term terrorism and what the need or what's the significance here of declaring this person specifically to be a terrorist. Because at the very least, I think you'd make the argument that he's a serial killer. And I could also see that if there is no like manifesto and no like no declaration of a larger political agenda, I could see the apprehension about calling it terrorism. Because in the end, the dude did seem to be blowing up black and brown people. It got a little weird, but no, no, you know, not weird. I don't think that's the appropriate term. But when the white people got killed in the park, then all of a sudden it made people wonder what exactly my man was trying to do. Um, But there seemed to be a racial direction here. But if he didn't say it, I mean, I think it's a fairly like safe assumption to make. But if he didn't say it, I can kind of understand not putting the words into his mouth. Now, we'll see what else comes up when they search on his computer. Because they said, you know, they looked through his stuff and they got him like looking up bombs and looking up where to ship things and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know what else, you know, what else they going to happen to get out of that. Right. But. I can see why there is an apprehension about going to the word terrorism at that point. But I also understand the importance that people have in deeming that something a white person does is terrorism because it feels just basically like terrorism only applies when brown people do something or Muslims do something. It seems to be the only time that it applies. And that is problematic. And the reason it is problematic, of course, is that you have deemed this to be a war on terrorism. But if terrorists are only terrorists, if they are brown, then it becomes a war on brown people. Yeah, that's bad. But the question that I guess I feel I've been left with recently or like watching people discuss this is, so let's say they call to do the terrorists. Then what? And I don't have an answer for that. Like, if that's what happens, then what? So, like, the question I think that we have to ask ourselves here is not so much about why the term terrorism is not applied in this situation, but rather, do we spend too much time, even in the cases that we understand to fit the meaning of quote-unquote terrorism, do we spend too much time trying to call any of it terrorism? Right? Because like, what it is is murder, no matter how you spin it. What it is is murder. Like, has it become more murder if it's terrorism? Now, I also understand the idea of the logic that So terrorist attacks, even when they are against civilians, terrorist attacks are like really like civilian attacks against the state. Like that's the way that we look at this, like the World Trade Center, the Pentagon stuff. Those are like obvious attacks against the state. The World Trade Center is not a government building, but it's a representation of American capitalism, right? It's an attack against the state. Um, That's the way that people like look at these things. And that was like the whole thing about going into Afghanistan is, you know, they launched an attack against the state. 
So who is, is so who is and isn't represented by the state? And I think that's a part that stings a lot of people here, like a situation like Dylan Roof or uh, like this guy. Like we part of this state too, right? And we don't know so much about this last guy, but with Dylan Roof, for example, um, like we knew what he was on. And what he was on is, at least in theory, an attack against the idea of the American state at its most ideal. Like that would be declared terrorism. Like I feel like what happened with Roof in that church is an attack against the state. Because it's an attack against the multicultural ideal of the state. Now, we could always raise an argument as to whether or not the ideal was ever actually multicultural. But the state has at least paid lip service to this idea. And I feel like that was an attack against that very thing. And so if anything is terrorism, one would believe that that would be terrorism. So if that is not terrorism, is the term terrorism like ultimately empty? Now I get that question. So in response, the question I think then becomes, if that act is not terrorism, thereby rendering the term terrorism to be empty, is the approach that should be taken to give power and embolden the term terrorism or is it to recognize that it is a politically loaded notion and to find a new way to contextualize these things? Like, which way do you go with? I don't have a great answer for it, but I do know this. Trying to force these people to call this stuff terrorism, that ain't gonna work. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Like, whether it should or not, that's a different discussion. But I don't know how much fighting you're gonna be able to do to make it terrorism in the eyes of the people that propagate the term. I don't know. Because like the thing that gets me, man, I saw that when the police chief was talking about that dude being a challenged young man and everything else, I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like, how y'all keep making the same mistakes? Like, every time somebody does something like this, there's an outcry that results subsequently. Every time somebody does something like this, the outcry comes after that, and people stand up and they scream, and they're like, yo, don't you notice the difference in the way that you're covering this man versus somebody else? And you would think that every single person that works in any newsroom would have been privy to hearing people with these things. Like we talk about social media and the feedback that it gives you for being a brand or whatever it is. Whenever any of these publications do this, their mentions are filling up with people telling them that this is inappropriate. Like their mentions fill up with people reminding them of these double standards. It keeps happening. Like people, it's not as though if you work in a newsroom, you're not winding up in this situation and getting this and being like, wow, you know what? No one had ever told me that. No, people tell them this all the time. I imagine that even if the person doesn't have a great deal of power in the office, somebody in the office is the one telling them, yo, we're doing that thing again, right? Like, you know, hey, guys, you know, we're, we're, we're doing that thing again, right? There's somebody there to tell you that. They keep on doing the thing. I, I mean, I, and I don't understand why, right? But they keep on doing the thing in spite of the loud protestations against it. They keep doing the thing. So... I don't think you're going to be able to get them to broaden the definition of terrorism to go beyond simply talking about brown people. It's worth noting, you know, I think it's certainly worth bringing up that there is a like a shortcoming in the way that we talk about these things. But like the insist on calling this man a terrorist. All right, he's a terrorist. 
Now what? Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Is it a world tour or is it his girls tour? Oh, man. So when Drake had that line in back to back, I called him out for it. And the reason that I, well, I mean, I called him out. It's not like I went to his house or anything like that. But the reason I did was, um, that's a shady notion there, right? So like with me, yeah, it was his girl's tour. Like, let's be real about it. She's the biggest star that he was. That's the way it goes. But you understand the basis of putting him down for that reason. That's just kind of whack. Uh, especially if you're going to be old sensitive Drake and you're the one that love him. You know, you can't be that dude. But anyway, Jay-Z and Beyonce are going on tour together again. I went to the last Beyonce tour. It was great. I went to uh, the Jay-Z Justin Timberlake tour in 2013. It was cool. It was the On the Run tour. It was the summer after that. I was like, I want to go check Beyonce, but I just really don't want to see Jay-Z again. I'm cool. I went and saw Jay-Z, um, at least some of his set at the Meadows at um, City Field in like October or something like that. And the thing with Jay-Z shows, man, a Jay-Z show would be a lot more fun if I could get to one that had a lot more Jay-Z fans. That doesn't tend to be the case when I wind up going to Jay-Z shows. You know? And like, yo, like Jay-Z would get up there and do Heart of the City. And I'm like, yo. And then you look around and don't know anybody really with this. You know, like you don't know a drop and everybody has to, uh, 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 uh. Because that's just what it is. But you can tell this ain't a jam in the way that is like my jam. Like that's a bit frustrating. And that just happens when you do a Jay-Z show. And he's good live, but he's not great live. You know, like I think he tends to put on a good show. Like he does the things that you have to do to put on a good show. But it's not because he's an incredible live performer. He's got a catalog of songs that's really good. And so that's one of those where you go to just kind of like bond with the music. Um, But anyway, so he's going on tour with Beyonce. And I was on the Twitter. And I think they're going to do like where they put their sets together. Because that's what Jay-Z did. I know with the Justin Timberlake tours they did with On the Run before. Is that they're going to like run their sets together. And I'm like, yo. Humble yourself and be the opening act, Jay-Z. Why not? Humble yourself and be the opening act. Like, look here, partner. After she had you up in that lemonade movie, wearing your undershirt, looking like all you were missing was a tall can and 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 a beat up recliner. Hey, homie, I don't know how much I don't know how much more humbling there is to do. Go ahead, go ahead and be the opening act, man. You should be the opening act. You fill up arenas. She fills up stadiums. You the opening act. And so, like, I feel like that's real kind to her to run his set together with hers. But I don't want to see their two sets together. I don't need to see them do crazy and love together. God, I hope they don't do the me and my girlfriend joint together. I don't need that. I don't. Jay-Z, come out here and do a banging Jay-Z set. I would be so hyped after a banging Jay-Z set. I'd be so ready for Beyonce. And it would make for a much better concert going experience. I'm just telling you. It would make for a much better concert going experience. Open for your woman, man. Go ahead and do that. You've been out here talking about therapy and everything else. Open for your woman, homie. 
I made that mention on Twitter, and who boy, people were heated. And just about all of them were dudes. <laughs> they did not like the idea of their hobie opening for Beyonce. And I'm just saying, I know how concerts go. Biggest star shut it down. Now, Jay-Z got this real interesting thing that he's done for a long time, which is he does these co-headlining tours with people who are much bigger than him and take him into much bigger rooms than he could get in himself because there is a certain measure of cool that is attached with Jay-Z. So like Justin Timberlake, before he decided to go back to like whatever this shit is that he's doing right now, he needed that. He wanted that cred that comes from having Jay-Z on the tour. Yeah, he wants that. And so Jay-Z lends that. Like, he adds that element that's there. But Beyonce don't need him. No, no, no. Beyonce don't need him. Open for your woman. Open for She the biggest star. Open for You should. He'd probably enjoy it more, too. But, hey. To be fair, I mean, you got to have something going on while Beyonce putting on a new onesie. Why not listen to Hove? Oh, this is interesting. Somebody in the chat room saying, Bo, you crazy. You wouldn't do it. Um, I mean, how you know that? Look, man, if she the biggest star, let her be the star. Like, I don't feel like that's really my problem there. If she's the biggest star, let her be the star. Hey, man, and there's been dudes throughout time who've had it in them to let their woman be the headliner. Um, like, you think about your man George Burns. You know, George Burns lived a lot longer than Gracie Allen, but Gracie Allen was the star. He knew that. He let her be the star. Now, somebody here talking about Ike Turner. Nah, Ike didn't really let her be the star. That was a little different. That's, that's kind of a little, little harder to explain. Uh, yep, Desi Arnaz. He would also be in the camp. She the star. Get in the bag. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. How responsible is Zuckerberg if his app was exploited as a tool of treason? So this Facebook thing is really, really interesting because Zuckerberg is shook. Like we're recording this in the nine o'clock hour on Wednesday night, which means that Zuckerberg's on CNN as I'm talking right now. Um, I read this book, I guess I read it about 10 years ago. Was it 10 years? Probably about 10 years ago about Facebook. And it was a very like glossy look at Facebook. And it certainly seemed to have a level of Zuckerberg input in it. And Zuckerberg at the time, this is before the money got like super duper large. But Zuckerberg really was talking about like the utility of Facebook and, you know, how the transparency that, Facebook, that Facebook afforded would make the world a better place, right? People have to put stuff on their names and that's out there and that's front and everybody's connected. And so like sunlight, he basically believed the sunlight would make the world a better place. But Facebook, I mean, they got us, man. Especially people that like live on Facebook. Oh man, they got you. They absolutely 100% got you. They're in every place that you go. And where they got you, where the Cambridge Analytica stuff becomes interesting, they're getting you on the like button. 
Like, I thought about this the other day. I was like, what the hell is the point of hitting like? Like, for who? For what? Seriously, what's the point? You know? Uh, like, I don't really pay too much attention to them, but people like, really care about likes. It is, it's a very, very, very big deal. I read a story about this. I've seen other people in the way they talk about it. Like, it is, the like button is a big, big thing with people. So, like, if you want to do the like button, like, with your people and your friends and stuff like that, all right, that's cool. Where I get confused is, who wants to be one of the 750,000 people clicking like on a Beyonce picture on Instagram? Like, she ain't going to see that. Like, for who? For what? Like, I mean, I like legitimately, functionally do, do not understand the point. I'm not saying that you're doing something wrong if you're doing that. I just don't know what it is that you're doing. Like, maybe it's just force a habit on all this stuff or anything else. But, like, I, I don't have anybody that I've ever thought about, like, wow, they don't ever click like on my Instagram stuff. I don't click like on anybody's Instagram stuff. Like, like I click like on pictures of kids, by and large. But other than that, man, I'll probably talk to you about it rather than talk about it over there. But, y'all, they're cataloging these things. They are using these things to put together composites of who we are and then hitting us with what they know we want but might not actually be what we want. And I understand how that might not make any sense, but I think you know what I mean. And yo, man, that is spooky. Like with all these apps and everything else, what we do is we trade a certain measure of privacy in exchange for some increase in convenience. Like that's what we've done. And every now and then something happens where you're just like, hey, man, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Like, for example, this clear thing with the government, right? The airport. I talked to you about this um, already on here. If not, I'll talk to you about it now. You guys know about the clear? So clear is like the super duper um, TSA pre. And so I went out at the airport and one was like, hey, would you like to try clear? It's a 30 day trial. It's like, oh, yes, a trial. I'm always inclined for a trial. And so you give them all your fingerprints. And then after you give them your fingerprints, they do a retina scan. In exchange for this, I don't have to take my wallet out. Like I get to skip the line, just give them a fingerprint and kind of go through. But they, like I felt like such a mark. Like I just gave it to them. And I guess part of the reason why I ultimately let them do it was I was like, well, damn, they're probably going to be doing this anyway. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, they're going to get it. Like, the fact that they got people volunteering for it right now just means at some point they're going to get you. Like, I mean, like, I, like you, almost feel, you almost feel powerless to a degree where it's just like, okay, where well, they're going to get all this stuff anyway. Like anytime you hear about there being some variety of data breach, like, I used to panic. And then I was like, well, this is just what it's going to be from here on out. Like, somebody got it. Somebody got it. This is what we live in. And when we got the stuff, we really didn't think about it. But we started doing this stuff, started picking all this stuff up. And this just became our lives. Like, this is what we do. This is who we are. You know, all these pictures, man, they got our faces. They be able to recognize us anywhere. Ain't, ain't going to be no whole lot of getting away with shit, man. Like, it's a wrap on that. And so Zuckerberg, I will just never forget when people talk about this idea of Mark Zuckerberg running for president. I'm like, why would you vote for him? Now, in fact, let's go a step further. Not simply, why would you vote for him? Why would he want to be president? 
I could make the argument that Zuckerberg has more power as simply like the, the gatekeeper of all our data than he would as the president. He can maneuver things far more strongly from that side than he can from being the president. Because the problem is, once you're being the president, you do have all these other people that you got to please. If you're Mark Zuckerberg, you are more powerful as being one of those people that has to be pleased. Like, that's the guy that you want to be. So now, man, people figured out how to use this. Like, I also think Zuckerberg, the media stuff. All right, so here's our thing with media. This is an overall media thing. All right, you ready? Here's the thing with media. We need it. Like, there's no substituting for functioning media. It is something a society needs in a way that it should be a public good. Like, it should be something that is provided by the government, media services, because they are that important except for the fact that you can't let the government be the people providing the media. I don't feel like I have to explain why, but you get that. It can't be that. But if it's not going to be that, then it's going to be a for-profit industry. Okay. Now, if it's going to be a for-profit industry, in this culture, it is going to be a corporate industry. And the corporation is a slave to growth. That's the thing about the corporation. It isn't about whether or not the corporation makes money. It's about growth. Yeah, newspapers ain't making money like they used to, but the game is growth. And so they got to do whatever it is that can be done for growing. And the things that are going to increase your profit in media are not necessarily things that are good for the larger society, even though we recognize the need of a functioning media for the larger society. But look, man, we're going to figure this out. People want to watch news that they like. People in America now watch news in root. Like they watch it like sports. That's what they do. And so with Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg was basically allowing people to use Facebook in part to like create their own newspapers, but with the Facebook algorithm as helping them. But it was just basically allowing people to tailor the news that they receive. The truth is, for this to work the best way it can, you probably need somebody to guide you through the news. It sounds patronizing, but I think there's something to it. And so the idea that I will allow people to create their own news. Oh boy, that monster got big, didn't it? Didn't it? That bad boy got big and that bad boy got unwieldy. And now Zuckerberg's the fix. Because now all these media outlets are so dependent on Facebook for traffic. Facebook, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this for Facebook. Um, Facebook's like the one thing everybody has. Like not everybody has a Facebook page, but everybody's got a Facebook page. So that is like the central node of all of this stuff. And yeah, now they're kind of responsible for what happens from there. And a big part of why they're responsible for what happens from there is one, a whole lot of the rhetoric that Zuckerberg has given us about wanting to make the world a better place. 
But number two, the amazing level of trust everybody has put into Facebook because we've given you our lives. We've given you all this data. Like people have to trust Facebook in a way that they don't have to trust anybody else. You know, like you find out that Coke Cuddles working with people to kind of hide the impact of all these sugary drinks drinks on everybody, right? Like you're a little mad at Coke, but you know, you get it. You see. All they just make soda. We're asking for something totally different on Facebook. Something totally different. It is a utility that is also like the lifeblood of online life for most people. So, yeah, man, he's going to have to figure this out. I don't know how exactly this goes because now and he got to answer to these shareholders. And I also wonder this about Facebook. And this is just me. I can't speak for anybody else. But for me personally, if I, like, as an individual got off Facebook, it wouldn't change my life a single bit. I don't use Facebook in that way. I've been trying to figure out how to get off of Twitter. I question what good that does for my life. But with Facebook, I could do without it. And I know that other people use Facebook in a much different way. And, you know, I guess they use Instagram, but I feel like I could do without Instagram, too. Like, could you do without it? Because I think a lot of people are looking at Facebook and saying to themselves, I can do without it. And so how many users would they have to lose before this really became a thing? I don't have an answer for that, but I'm very curious. And people are like, my family checks on me through Facebook. Hey, man, if your family actually gives a fuck about you, they'll figure out how to check you out without Facebook. Like when people talk about, well, I got Facebook so I can stay in touch with my family. Do you realize what you're saying about your relationship with your family? Yeah, I just need to make it as easy as possible. You know? Just a thought. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us here on The Evening Jones. I was going to say we do this about once a week, except I ain't been on here about a month. But whatever, we'll be back soon. Uh, my man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you. Remember, if you cannot listen to the Evening Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe to Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We're also at the Google Play Store. Also, remember, 860-516-4119. That is the voicemail line for the Right Time Podcast. Coming back April 3rd. Phone number is 860-516-4119. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us you're happy we're back. Talk to you soon. Take it easy.